as Dan said, it's great to be here. I mean, I love coming to ACF. Uh, I've been here several Sundays, some Wednesday nights, uh, but it has been a little bit of a time since I've been here. And I love being on the campus of Penn State. I love seeing, this is such a, an alive place because what's happening is that people are making a very important decision during this time. And they don't even realize, like every, all the time, you are always doing something very important. And you're thinking, yeah, right now, always doing something important. Like when I'm eating ice cream at the creamery, I'm doing something important. Yeah, even then, when I'm playing video games with one of my friends, yeah, even then, you're doing something important. When I'm sitting in my room talking about guys with some of my girlfriends, yeah, you're doing something important. It's not that those things in themselves are important, but during college, you are constantly, through your habits, through the activities you choose, through the classes that you take, through the groups that you're a part of, you are kind of idling down, whittling away at finding out to you what's most important. What are you going to live your life for? What are you going to focus on? And as you get honed in on that, lasered in on that, that is going to determine the direction of your life and the, the focus of your life. It's going to determine the content that comes out of your life. It's going to determine what kind of marriage you have or what kind of kids you raise or how, how, what kind of career you're in and what you want to get out of that career or what kind of mark you want to leave in this world when this is over. That one question, what matters most to you? Whether you realize it or not, you are constantly figuring that out and your life is starting to revolve around it. A little scary, actually. A little serious way to start off here. But that's the truth for all of us. As we ponder what in the world we're here on this spinning globe for, that question is so important to us. And today, I have the next passage in your Kingdom Way series on the Sermon on the Mount. I have Matthew 6, 19-24. So thank you for giving me that, Dan. I'm really excited to dig into it with you guys because it really helps us to understand what matters most and how, and how that impacts my life. So let's read that first off, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Uh, they'll be on the screen. I'm also going to read it from my Bible here. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to, one, to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, as I started thinking about this passage, I, Dan uh, told me a few weeks ago I'd be uh, preaching from this. I wanted to kind of commit it to memory and process it for several weeks. This, this is rich stuff. And you may just pass through it. Maybe this is the first time in your life that you've ever considered this passage. Or maybe you've read it bunches of times and you're confused by parts of it. Like, what in the world is he talking about here with light in my eyes and darkness? And how does that tie into this whole thing? But here's the deal. I believe that we underestimate in our lives the subtle power of treasure in our lives. That's kind of what I've given as the, kind of the subtitle. It's been going through my mind to this message, the subtle power of treasure. And I, I 
deliberately chose the word subtle because subtle is something, you know, as, as a dictionary defines it, is uh, fine or delicate in meaning or intent and difficult to perceive or understand. In other words, what we treasure in our hearts is always shaping us, always working, always our lives are revolving around, and we're making decisions by what is the treasure of our heart, but we don't even realize it a lot of times. It seems like sometimes we're on autopilot, and what is running that autopilot is what we have decided in our hearts is most important to us. Even if we haven't intentionally decided what's most important, there is something That is most important in every one of our hearts, and our lives are going in the direction of that all the time. So as we start to think about that, how that can shape us, there's really just kind of three thoughts I want you to grasp today. And as I want to share those with you right up front, so you can kind of see them coming, you can ponder them, you can look at them from different sides as we go through. And then at the end, I'll give you some kind of guidelines to help you kind of figure out how am I really focusing on what I want it to be most important in my life, not just what is there kind of by accident or with not real, a whole lot of thought. So the first point is this, that what we treasure shapes our present, our future, and eternity. So what's most important to you shapes everything about you, whether you realize it or not. Second point, second thought, is that it's hard for us to see how what we treasure shapes us. It's happening all the time, and it's hard for us to pick up on that. But what our hearts are set on is constantly changing us, constantly directing us. The third point is, There's only room for one true treasure in your heart. That's a heavy one, but that's the point that Jesus brings along at the end. So let's just unpack that first thought, can we, here? What we treasure shapes our present, our future, and our eternity. You know, I love how Jesus teaches. He's the most brilliant teacher that has ever unpacked a thought in the history of mankind. And, but if I asked you to pick words that describe Jesus, you might say loving, you might say merciful, you might say sacrificing, but brilliant probably wouldn't be one of the ones that would come to the front of your mind. But he's brilliant in the way that he can say such profound things in such simple ways that the Apostle Paul, one of the key leaders in the early church, wrote a letter to believers in Jesus who were living in the city of Colossae, part of the Roman Empire at the time, he said that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures, key word there, of wisdom and knowledge. Brilliance radiates from, radiates from Jesus. You're going to grow in wisdom just by getting to know Jesus and thinking about why he says what he says and how he says what he says. If you want to understand life and know how to live your best life, get to know Jesus. He's that brilliant that just getting to know him emanates through your life and will change you for the better. And Jesus is doing some really cool stuff here in this passage. So let's look again at uh, verses 19 to 21. And I'm going to read them again because they're powerful. Ones that have been in my heart. Uh, To be honest, these three verses have been through my mind and heart over and over again throughout my life, but I'm going to say I probably have ignored the other three verses a lot. 
but not right now. But let's look at these first three verses. Do not lay up for your treasures, treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, we don't really see, when we read this in the English, we don't really see what Jesus is actually doing here. Jesus spoke in a language called Aramaic. And he's actually using both the noun form of treasure and the verb form in treasure in the same way. So if Jesus was staying, if you were here, there right with Jesus, listening to what he's saying, he would be saying, do not treasure for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but treasure for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So he's talking about treasuring treasures. And the idea is that you're storing up something. And what do you store up? Do you store up useless stuff? Of course not. You know, I don't, nobody has a collection of like Tootsie Roll wrappers, right? You eat the Tootsie Roll and you chuck it away. It's useless. If you do, talk to me afterwards. We can get some help for that, okay? But... You store up things that are valuable to you because you think at some point in the future of your life, these things that you're storing up, that you're treasuring up, are going to give you some kind of happiness or some kind of security, some kind of safety, some kind of significance, maybe the approval of others. But you're storing them up, you're treasuring up because you think they're going to do something for you. And Jesus is saying, if your confidence is the things that come in the things that come from treasures on earth that you can accumulate and possess, you're going to be disappointed. And let me be clear here too, it's a real neat thing what Jesus is saying here. When we see do not lay up for yourselves treasures, we think, oh, here's another command. I don't, I don't like it when anybody tells me do not do something. It makes me want to do that thing that I'm told not to do. But Jesus isn't necessarily using it that way here. What he's saying is, look, it's pretty much normal that humans go around treasuring things in this world, treasuring possessions, treasuring money, treasuring accomplishments. And he's saying, that's not helping you. So stop. You're really hurting yourself. Yes, it's a command, but what he's saying is, typically, you do this, but if you stop doing this, it's going to help you. So as we're going through this, it's really important for us to understand that there's nothing wrong here at all with the things like that money can buy, right? A college education. That's a great thing that money can buy, or at least that it can borrow for a while. Some of you know what that feels like already. Nothing wrong. A college education is a great thing. I, all three of my kids have graduated from college. And that's a beautiful thing. And it helps you to prepare for life. It can help you to get a career. It can help you to build a stable family. A college education is a great thing. But Jesus is saying, if all of your confidence is in the college education, you have misplaced confidence. Money can buy you possessions that are, that are fun to enjoy. It can buy you a boat or a truck to pull it, right? And that's a great thing to enjoy, but if your life is built on the possessions that you buy, you're going to be disappointed at some point along the line. The boat is going to break down, or you're, not gonna, you're gonna run out of money to, keep, to maintain it, or the truck is, is gonna break down. Everything that God has created for us is meant to be enjoyed. They're gifts from God, because he's a good God. He's a good father. He loves you. 
He didn't make creation to say, now just hands off. I know it looks nice. It looks like you can enjoy it, but I don't want you to have any fun down here. That's not the heart of God. It's not the heart of your heavenly father. He's saying, I made these things for you to enjoy them. But what we can do is that we can slowly, and there's this word, subtly shift from enjoying them to putting our confidence in them. And we start worshiping the gift more than the one who gave it to us. That's when disappointment starts to settle in. That's when we start to get on shaky ground. Because our confidence is not in the creator, but the creation. Right? You can get a college education, but unfortunately, too many people know that sometimes you can't Get a job with a degree that you get. That's a scary prospect. Some of you are sitting there. Some of you are juniors and seniors. You're thinking, holy crap, how am I going to get a job with this degree? I'm so scared. It's so lean. There's so much competition. That can happen, right? So your confidence can't just be in your degree. Or you could get a job with the degree that you have and work for a great company, and that company is bought out by somebody else, and they say, see you later. We don't need you. Or you can buy a house with the money you make from the job that you get from the degree that you earn. But a house can burn down. Or it can be flooded. And if all, those, if all of your confidence in these, are in these possessions, these treasures of earth, at some point, it's going to lead to disappointment because they can't provide what your heart really longs for. But if your confidence is in God, you will find strength and you will find freedom and you will even find joy to continue to rise through the challenges of life because God is greater than all the gifts that he gives. PSU graduate Matt Cohen, pictured up here with, uh, there we go, yep, he's a PSU graduate and his wife Andrea. And uh, Matt is actually a guy that grew up in love with gymnastics. I can safely say, hearing it from him, that when he was a young guy, gymnastics was his treasure. His parents built his life around gymnastics. By the time he went to high school, his parents sent him away to go somewhere so he could go to specialize in gymnastics with the hope that he would end up on the Olympic team. He didn't quite get there, but he was good enough to get a full-ride scholarship to here for gymnastics. And while he was here, in his senior year, he was voted as the, most, the, the best male gymnast in the nation. That's a pretty big deal, right? His whole, and it was possible because at the very center of his life was the treasure of gymnastics and he built his life around it. His parents helped him build his life around that. But somewhere along the way, Someone introduced him to Jesus as a greater treasure than gymnastics. And his life was changed. He became part, became part of ACF. He eventually did an internship here at ACF. He went to seminary. And Matt and Andrea led a, a team of 10 other PSU graduates who moved to Philadelphia, northwest Philadelphia, the Young neighborhood in particular, to plant a church there. Why? Because Matt's treasure shifted. And instead of putting in some, his confidence in something that could be taken away from him through not getting to the Olympics or getting some kind of physical injury, he put his confidence into God 
who will never disappoint him, who will always lead him to the life that is truly life. I'm so thankful to know Matt and consider him a friend. Uh, I know that he's been here a couple times, and I'm just thankful that what happened in his life is what can happen in your life. Not the gymnastics part, that's small potatoes. But the part where you can discover that Jesus is a worthy treasure to let your life revolve around. He can be the sun of your, of your galaxy. And you can orbit around him and know the warmth of his love and the life that his light gives. The second point, second thought I wanted you to comprehend was that it's hard for us to see how what we treasure shapes us. Why is that? Why is that? Jesus gives these what seems like really freaky little thoughts here in the middle of this passage, right? Why does he throw this in? What does this have to do with treasures? You know, at the end, it looks like he's talking about money and treasures like that. At the beginning, he's clearly talking about treasures. But what are these two freaky little verses in the middle? The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, in you is darkness. How great is the darkness? Now, this is a, keep in mind, this is the creator speaking about the eye that he created. And if there's ever an argument for a creator as opposed to just, hey, God just threw it in a pond and we all came from that. But if there's ever an argument for the intelligent design of human beings, it's the eye. And Jesus is only just rough going, scratching the surface of the beauty of the eye because really our, everything that we can see starts by light entering into our eye and all the things like the cornea and our retina and all the cones and rods in there all working together and sending a message to our brain so that we can navigate in this world and see beauty in this world. And so in a sense, our whole body is filled with light when our eyes are working because we can see where to go. But if our eyes are not working, then they're not letting light into our body. And so then we are stuck. We can't see where to go. Everything is dark. And Jesus, as beautiful as this is, the creator talking about the eye that he created, he's not just trying to do a little, oh, by the way, let me just tell you this cool little story about the eye. This is a spiritual story for us. Because the possessions of this world can blind us and keep us from seeing the light of God. Materialism and greed keep us from seeing what it's really doing from the heart. You can look at a parallel passage to these verses here in Luke chapter 12. And when Jesus starts introducing that, he says some really interesting words. He says, uh, be aware, be on your guard against greed, for life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Now, why does he say be on your guard against greed? He doesn't say anywhere be on your guard against adultery. He doesn't say be on your guard against murder. He doesn't say be on your guard against lying. But he says specifically be on your guard against greed. Why would he say something like that? Well, here's the problem. If you commit adultery, you know you're committing adultery. Right? You're married to somebody. You're having sex with somebody else. You don't say, oh, that's right. You're not my wife. I forgot. Right? If you're killing somebody, it's like, oh, Shoot, I'm committing murder. You know in process that that's happening. When you're lying, let's be honest here about lying, you know you're lying. And you're hoping like crazy that the person that is listening to you doesn't know that you're lying. 
You don't have to be on your guard against those because you know when you're doing those. But you don't know when you're being greedy. You don't know when you're putting your, your confidence and possessions in the treasure of this world because it's such a subtle power in our lives. And it shapes us without us even knowing it. And it's hard for us to understand that. And so that's why Jesus is saying, be on your guard. Your eyes, your spiritual eyes can get darkened when you love possessions, when you love earthly treasures more than the kingdom of God. More than God himself, the creator who gave you the ability to enjoy the creation. So it's hard for us to understand that and we have to be aware there has to be a point where we have our eyes opened and we need God's help with that, to be honest, right? Because what's interesting, even Paul, that apostle again, in another letter to believers in Jesus in another city in the Roman Empire, Ephesus, he said to them, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Sounds like similar words here. So that you may know the riches of your glorious inheritance. Our inheritance is the kingdom of God. And Paul is even saying in how he prays for these Christians in the city of Ephesus, he's saying, I'm praying that your eyes are open and aware that the riches you have in the kingdom of God are greater than the riches of this world because the riches of this world are constantly thrown at us, right? Some of you don't give a rip about tonight's game, right? Who cares, right? You know, I'm a Patriots fan, so I'm going to be like focused during the game. Some of you are going to like talk like crazy the whole game except during the commercials, because the commercials are awesome in a Super Bowl. I've heard there's going to be lots of puppies tonight, and that's always a fun thing. Uh, a little bit of Steve Carell with some odd stuff about Pepsi. I don't know. But nonetheless, they're going to be interesting. But one thing they're going to constantly do is they want you to buy their product. They want you to see that happiness comes from using their product. That's the world that we live in. We live in materialism and possessions is always presenting itself to us as a treasure that we can have confidence in and we don't even realize it. It's so subtle, so subtle. And it shapes us. Even that $5 specialty drink at Starbucks, every time you get it, there's nothing wrong with a $5 specialty drink at Starbucks. I've enjoyed some myself. But that shapes you in a sense if it's a ritual in your life, you're saying that I need this. And that's a weird thing, but that's how subtle the power of earthly treasure can be. That's why you often see people who are trying to raise money for a worthy cause. They'll say, hey, if you can just give up Starbucks once a week for a whole year, you can give us $250 towards these starving kids in Africa. And we're like, I spend $250 a year at Starbucks? Well, if I go there every week, once a week, and buy a $5 drink, yes, I did. And by the way, I can support a starving kid if I just give that up once a week. But we don't even realize it's happening until somebody points this out because it's so subtle and it's hard for us to see. And we need God to open up the eyes of our heart so that we're not deceived by the treasures of this world thinking they can give us the life that only God can give us. The last thought that Jesus wants us to grasp here is that there's only room for one treasure in your heart. Now, it's interesting. In the beginning 
of this passage, Jesus used the word treasure and he uses the plural form of it, like different treasures. But when he comes to the end, he talks about what you see written in English as money, but we're going to talk about that word and why it's important here. It says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now that word money at the end is very interesting because the normal word for money that is written in the New Testament, that's not it. The normal word for money is used over and over again throughout the New Testament, but this word is actually, you may have heard it before, it's kind of an old school, old school name, mammon. And it's only used four times in the, in the New Testament, and it's only used by Jesus. It's not just money. It, has, it comes when we have a confidence in money used for our own selfish purposes. In other words, when we say, I want this and I want it for myself and my confidence is in this thing, that's what Jesus is saying. You can't have competition in your heart for Jesus. And if your confidence is in something you're going to spend just on yourself, you can't possibly have confidence in Jesus at the same time. If what's most important to you is getting a degree, then getting a job and climbing up the corporate ladder and getting a house and having a certain amount of status and prestige in your life, then I promise you, you can't serve Jesus and do that at the same time if that's what's most important to you. Now, does that mean you can't get a job and climb up the corporate ladder and be successful and still love Jesus? Of course not. There are lots of godly people who have succeeded in a corporate world. But if that's most important for you, that is going to be your treasure and you're going to push Jesus out. There's not room for both in there. Because the treasure is about what's most important to us. And Jesus is saying, you can't have two treasures in your heart. You can't both serve me and serve selfishly used possessions. Possessions used for your own personal gain. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And it hinders us. And we don't even realize that. That sometimes we act like we need things more than we need Jesus. And it's just not true. There is nothing that you need more than Jesus in this world. It doesn't matter what, what anybody says. A college degree is not more important than trust and the creator of the universe. It is important, just not as important as trust in Christ. And if your life is revolving around a college degree and whatever it can give you, then it can't also revolve around Jesus at the same time. And eventually that sun is going to go dark and you won't be warmed by the light and love of Jesus. So what do we do with that? What in the world do we do to that? Jesus wants us to know that freedom and joy develop in us when our lives are aligned with what, is truly, what truly matters most. But if our lives are aligned around something that doesn't matter most, we're going to be frustrated. We're going to keep running into the wall and saying, what's wrong? Why can't I figure this out? Why do I still feel unsatisfied, still feel unfulfilled? 
Because most of us treat joy and happiness like it's a destination. If I get this degree and I get this job and I get this wife and I get this, have these kids and I live in this house and, and I have all this stuff, then when I get all that, then I'll be happy. The problem is when you get to one of those stations along the way, then you find out, oh no, I need something more. I need something more. But when you understand the greatness of Jesus and his, your life revolves around him, he's the sun in your galaxy. You can have joy all along the way. You don't need to treat joy as the destination. You can have joy on the journey when your life revolves around Jesus, when he's your treasure, when his kingdom is what matters most to you. I'm thinking, you're preaching next week, Dan. Yes, you're back. He's going to be hitting that a little bit. Beautiful stuff in there about seeking first his kingdom, and I'm sure Dan's going to unpack that all beautifully for you next week. But what do we do? What do we do in order for us not to be occupied, not to be treasuring up treasures on earth, but instead treasuring up treasures in heaven so that our life can revolve around Jesus and his kingdom instead of revolving around treasures that can't give us the light and the life and the love that we really long for. Four simple ideas to wrap up the message this morning, okay? First is this. Be confident in the unfailing love of your heavenly father. Now, some of you, that's really hard. I grew up in a house where my dad was the opposite of love, verbally abusive, door slamming, said very difficult words to me that, that I still carry to this day from time to time. I hear them in my, heads, my head. And so it took a major shift in order for me to actually believe that a heavenly father loved me. Up until that time, I saw God as a judge. I saw God as a lawgiver. I saw God as somebody who uh, was a taskmaster trying to keep me in line. But I didn't see him as a heavenly father who loves me unfailingly. And I'm telling you that will revolutionize your life more than anything else. Is to have confidence that your heavenly father loves you. And how do I know that? Because he considered you his treasure by giving a, his son for you. He sent his treasured son to die on a cross for you to pay for your sins so that you could be restored to his kingdom and family. You don't do that for junk, my friends. You don't do that for Tootsie Roll wrappers. You do that for someone that's a treasure for you. And your heavenly father has given his precious son, Peter calls it, in 1 Peter, in his letter to believers, in another section of the Roman Empire, he said that we weren't redeemed, we weren't bought back with useless things like silver and gold, <laughs> but with the precious blood of Jesus. You could say with the treasured blood of Jesus, God bought back his treasure. That's us. You can have confidence that he loves you on your worst day. When things are falling apart, when you can't get the job, when your relationship is broken, whatever it is, you can always be confident in the unfailing love of God and the cross is your reminder. 
that God will never stop loving you and that he considers you a treasure worth dying for. That's a real treasure. Oh, how easily we forget the love of God and we think things are going to love us. And since I'm from New England, not only am I a Patriots fan, I'm also a Red Sox fan, winning this team in baseball in this century. Let's just leave it with that. No other comments, please. Uh, But there was a movie that came out in 2003, headed in 2004, uh, called Fever Pitch. It was with Jimmy Fallon before he was Jimmy Fallon. You know, he was still kind of Saturday Night Live trying to work his way up in the world. And Drew Barrymore. And he played a diehard Red Sox fan. At that point, the Red Sox had not won a World Series in 86 years. We were losers. And sometimes we lost in the worst way. And it was painful. But he had built his life around the Red Sox. He had like Red Sox phone, Red Sox shower curtains. He always bought season tickets. Everything in his life revolved around every home game the Red Sox had. Every spring, he took a trip to spring training to go see the Red Sox, get ready for the season. Everything. And then he met Drew Barrymore. And he's like, oh, I love this woman. But I love the Red Sox. And at a key point, he, made, he makes a bad decision. Spoiler alert. But if you haven't seen the movie by now, it's like 15 years old. So suck it up. All right. Their relationship starts to fall apart, and she asks him the question, you love the Red Sox, but have they ever loved you back? And Jimmy Fallon is like, whoa, his life is shaken. And I want to ask you that question. A college degree, can it love you back? Absolutely not. It's a great tool. It's a wonderful asset, but it's not going to love you back. I'm midlife, all right, maybe I'm a little past midlife. My kids are out of college, so I can't say I'm too midlife, but I'm right about there, right? I've walked with enough of my friends through midlife. They've had careers where they have excelled, climbed way up, corporate ladders, and they have given multitude of hours to their job, to their career. They have sometimes sacrificed family vacations for their career, and then they get to a certain point in midlife, and they're like, I have sacrificed so much for this company and I realize they could let me go tomorrow and not even care. Their job doesn't love them back. I'm here to tell you this. Your heavenly father always not only loves you back, he loves you first, even before you love him. Even when you wanted nothing to do with him, he knew. Paul says that he, we were enemies when he gave his son to die for us. That, my friends, is the love that you can count on. Second, if you want to have your life revolve around Jesus as the sun in your galaxy and have the kingdom of God being the treasure of your heart, which, by the way, if you fast forward to Matthew 13, you can see Jesus calling the kingdom of God the treasure worth giving up everything for. But you can do this. Generously invest in what lasts for eternity. What lasts for eternity? People. Give your money to things that help people to be able to live life here, but also to live life with God for eternity. Invest your resources, your time, your money, generously in those kinds of things. Now, why do I say that? Not just because of what it does for those people, because of what it does for us. When we give up our possessions, let me say it in reverse, actually. When we hold on to our possessions, they're actually holding on to us. But when we let go of our possessions, we give them away generously, We're actually holding on to God, something more valuable.
If you hold on to your possessions, they will always hold you. But if you let them go, you'll know the love and the grace and the goodness of God. Generosity is not just a wonderful thing for other people. It's wonderful for the person who's generous. It's good for your soul. Seek to live a generous life. Make that one of your core values, to live generously, investing in things that that will last for eternity. Third, what else can you do to keep the kingdom of God as your most important treasure in your heart? Let go of good things so you can hold on to God things. This is what happens in life. We tend to have, and I'll use an analogy I just heard recently, but we tend to live like like we have a backpack. And good things come into our lives and we put it in our backpack and I like this, this feels good. I want to take this with me wherever I go. And then we find something else good and we put that in our backpack and have this with me wherever I go. And then another good thing, another good thing, another good thing. And then our backpack is really full and it weighs us down with a bunch of good things, so much so that when a God thing comes to us, when we see Jesus, we don't have the energy to hold on to the God things because the good things are holding us back. Now, you can unpack that analogy for yourself. Well, I'm not gonna, I'll just let that kind of uh, metaphor sit with you. But there are a lot of times good things, perfectly good things that God has given you as gifts, but you've held on to them and it's keeping you from really embracing the God things that he wants to give you. Supernatural life, a purpose worth living for, bigger than those good things. And last, and I say this specifically to a college audience, one other way that we can keep the kingdom of God at the, as the treasure of our hearts and Jesus as the sun in our galaxy is that whatever you're going to do when you leave here, do it somewhere that is strategic for the kingdom of God. What do I mean by that? But let me say it again before I explain it. Whatever you're going to do when you leave here, whatever degree you have, whatever you're pursuing, whatever you do, Go do it somewhere where it's strategic for the kingdom of God. Because what's going to happen is you're going to graduate and some of you are going to say, oh, I want to go here and I want this job. It's more money and it's in a better place that I want. And so some, even in that small decision, the choice of making it by, by where you get the most money and where you most want to live for comfort, that is even shaping the treasure in your heart. But if you say, no, I know that I can do this job at multiple different places, and I'm going to do it somewhere where I know I can be of help to the kingdom of God, that, in a sense, is loosening the grip of earthly treasures and strengthening the grip on kingdom treasures in my heart. I'll give you an example. Another graduate from here, Spencer Sweeting, part of ACF back in here, even was a part-time worship pastor over at State College Alliance for a year after that, I believe. Uh, Spencer uh, grew up in Williamsport. When he grew up in Williamsport in the 80s and 90s, it wasn't really a keen place. Now that place is being revitalized now. Lots of cool little restaurants. Little League World Series has kind of is a revitalized thing. It's really cool to see what's happening in that town. But when Spencer was growing up, it was a dying town, and people were like, I gotta get out of here. And he could have gone somewhere else, and he felt the call of God in his life. He went from being a part-time worship pastor, a full-time worship pastor, and then he was feeling like God was calling him to be in full ministry, and even to plan a church. And actually, he talked to Matt Cohen, who was on the screen earlier, about going with Matt to Philadelphia to do that. 
But something wasn't settling with him, even though that was a great thing. And City Light Church that Matt planted is now getting ready to plant its third congregation, even talking about its fourth one already, because God is multiplying that effort. But Spencer was like, no, I think God wants me to go back to stay in Williamsport. Now, Philadelphia is a cool town. There's a lot of good things happening there. But he said, no, I'm supposed to be here. And he stayed. And by God's grace, they planted City Alliance Church, which is joining, in their words, joining together with Jesus to transform Williamport, Williamsport with the gospel for the glory of God and the good of the city. And Spence loves his city. He could have gone somewhere else to do that. Even serving God, he could have done that somewhere else. But as he sought God, he knew the most strategic place with the connections that he had was to stay put. It was a strategic choice for the kingdom of God. Or another one of my friends, Andy Resch. Andy has a great journey. He grew up in York, Pennsylvania. Uh, went to Millersville University, one of the state schools. And then he was interested in this girl named Mindy. And she was going to college in North Carolina. And she wasn't done yet. She's like, well, I'm going to get a job in North Carolina. He was a teacher. He said, I can teach there. And actually, North Carolina was saying, hey, we need more teachers. So you come down here. We'll give you a job. So he went there to teach. Got involved in a church called the Summit Church, which was really focused on sending graduates from places like University of North Carolina and Duke University and saying, whenever you graduate, go somewhere strategic for the kingdom of God. And Andy's like, well, I'm already done with college, but I feel like they're planning a church in Tennessee. I feel like I need to go with that group of people. And Andy and Mindy, married by then, left and went to Tennessee. He wasn't the church planter. He was a middle school teacher, but he went to Tennessee to go do his job there so that he could help plant this church in Tennessee and be a team of strong people. And as he's there in Tennessee enjoying life and the warmer weather, then it's like he hears God's whisper and saying, I want you to go back north and I want you to plant a church. He ended up back in Philadelphia going to City Light Church with Matt Cohen and becoming a church planning resident there, which is a kind of a, you think like doctor residence, you learn how to do it before you do it. <laughs> That's what he's doing about church planting and he's getting ready this fall to launch a brand new church plant in Upper Darby, which is a, a small, it's not a small town, it's a town right on the border of Philadelphia. It's actually a, a city, really. 80,000 people. And statistics say that only about 4% of those people really know Jesus, really know him. 4% out of 80,000. That's 3,200 out of 80,000. And Andy's like, Millersville, North Carolina, Tennessee, Philadelphia, Upper Darby, he said, I want to use my life somewhere that's strategic for the kingdom of God. And I want to invite you to do that too. Andy's is a great idea. Some of you are graduating and you're thinking, I'm going to go to Philadelphia or I'm going to either for my job or for graduate school. Check out Andy's church. Get involved in Andy's church. And you can be contributing to the kingdom of God while you're starting your career or while you are working on your graduate degree. Get involved in City Light Church, Upper Darby. If you're going this fall, then you're going to be coming in right at the beginning. You can have a blast planning a church with them. But there's other opportunities too. Small town of Nazareth at the top of the Lehigh Valley. We have a brand new church plant there with Jim Entwistle and his wife Jess. Very important town for that to do. It's the home of Martin Guitars for any of you instrumentalists out there. But if you can get a job in the Lehigh Valley and help that church grow and become strong because you're committed 
to live your, do your career and live there, how beautiful would that be? Or we're going to be having another church get planted in York, Pennsylvania, probably later this year or the beginning of next. Get a job in York, Pennsylvania. You can help that church in the inner city of York get started by using your life in a strategic way for the kingdom of God. And in doing that, it'll let go of the grip of earthly treasures and help you embrace kingdom treasure in your heart. So I'm just going to wrap it up just by praying a blessing on you. You're discovering during this message series that the kingdom way is a new and a better way of life. I'm here to tell you that letting your life revolve around Jesus and his kingdom, letting him be the son of your galaxy, is a new and better way and the best way. Not just a better way, but the best way to live your life. And I'm going to pray that for you. And if you want to talk to me about any of the church plants or how you can get plugged in, I'm happy to have that conversation. I can give you my contact information. And on top of that, I have like a connection all up and down from probably North Carolina all the way to Boston. So wherever you're moving in there, I can help you get plugged into a church plant. It might not be Alliance, but hey, we're kingdom players. I'll get you involved with anybody that is promoting Jesus, right? 